You're listening to The After Session with Philip Lewis. I'm a therapist based in Washington, D.C., and I hope to provide my perspective on work done throughout the therapeutic process. Some of what you'll hear will be interviews with other mental health professionals or former and current clients. In this case, these interviews are voluntary, not conditional to the status of a person presently in therapy, and those interviews are not considered a therapeutic session or a recommendation for forms of treatment. If you are interested in starting your therapeutic process or engaging in a protocol or technique referenced, please make sure you contact your mental health or medical provider. Thanks for listening. Satima, I know you were a parent, and we talked about the aspect of unconditional love and reminding our children at young ages that they are loved unconditionally. I know, and if it's okay for me to ask you this, this personal personal aspect, what, what are, as a parent, what are your thoughts? How do you see love and it being unconditional in a ch- parent-child relationship? I think it's just reminding your child as much as you can on a daily basis, looking them in the eye and letting them know that you love them. Um, you had made a comment about um, one of your clients who was 18, I think, and mm-hmm. he couldn't tell you the last time his parents told him that he loved they loved him or hugged him and so for parents I really think it's about sitting your child down looking them in the eyes and letting them know I love you no matter what unconditionally because what happens is even when a child has something difficult to tell you so if I use my daughter for example my oldest she may come home and say mom I need to talk to you about something and she's nine and I'll be like okay and she's like but I don't think you're gonna like it And I'll look at her and I'll say, it doesn't matter if I like it or not. I love you. So no matter what you say, that's not going to change. And I can see the stress and the relief just fall off of her. Mm -hmm. And then we have a discussion about whatever it is she she needs to to speak with me about. Um, But just reminding your child on a daily basis, if you can, that you love them and that, that there's nothing they can do or tell you that's going to change that. And the more you remind them of that, the more and the more you actually exhibit that, the more they can trust it. You're right. And I think in your description, I think um, that's how come I have so many young folks who come in at eight or nine and are anxiety driven and provoked and like are presenting with general anxiety disorder and don't know why. Um, your description of your daughter, that you seeing her relax after understanding that your love isn't going anywhere. No, it doesn't have to be a bomb dropping. It doesn't have to be this traumatic event that happened. It can be just a simple concept that not being loved is a possibility. And that's right. Oh, anxious. And that is so uh, emotionally driven. So now we grow up in the box and we place ourselves in the box because we think we'll never have love. We can't get it because it'll go away if we don't do something. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. And then that's not love, right? Because even if it's your child and you're, you know, I see that a lot of my practice. Yeah, that's a sickness. I've told a few parents that. Because, because you do this or no. you're this or you love like this or your sexuality is this and so forth. So now my love for you comes with extreme limits. Oh, I, can, I can't love you. Just, you know, you, you have to question that part of love. Like you're, and that's the thing about it. You know, you don't have to like everything. Correct. That's a choice. You don't have to like everything. Yes. And, I, and I sometimes feel like it's such a stronger place. You know, I, 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 for me, I expect to be loved. Like I expect the whole world to love me. Right. That's, that's, that's it. 
But to like me, that's your choice. That's your option. Because you're going to maneuver in that place. And when I think of love film, I think of it um, probably real basic. Like, I don't, I don't, can't see myself stepping over somebody that's in hurt or pain or crying on the floor and they're wounded. Like, I'm going to do the next thing, like the humanitarian piece. Call 911, see if they're okay. Like, to me, that's that ushering love, right? Now, I don't know what they've done, but it's not my, 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 my point at this point to see the human in life. And I think we, we, we don't do that. So we, we get stuck and we, we're not feeling so much. So now we're like taking love away. It's unconditional. Love is, when you really move in love, we're much kinder to each other. You know, it, where do we learn it? Where do we learn that? How? How can we teach it? As a child, right? First, as a child. Well, in session, specifically with couples, you know, they always start off with things they'll say to me, you know, um, you know I, I love them. I love them. I love them. And I'm like, I'm not questioning your love for each other. I don't think mm-hmm. you like it. Great. I'm not questioning that you love each other. That's what got you here. But today, you're you're not good, right? We're not well. So what are the things that we're doing that's unwell? And really start really becoming curious and peeling that stuff back and try to see if there's any repair for the ruptures that happen in our lives. And I think, just really quick on your point, Philip, you said, how can we learn that? I think the first step, obviously there are like a ton after, but I think the first step is removing self. Honestly, love is not about the self, right? Especially when you're in relationship with somebody. So it then becomes, what are their needs? What are their expectations? Again, not to the point where you're self-sacrificing. And I think that's where people get like get lost. It's not about self-sacrifice more than it is about service and service of other people. And so always trying to put yourself in that space. I actually encourage my clients to do that a lot. How are you serving in this relationship? How are you not making it about all the things that you need and making it about their need, Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think the first step is definitely removing self and figuring out how you can be of service to whomever you're talking about in the context of love. In our work, in in your couple's work, do we sit down and actually go through acts of love? Have you found that couples are doing that automatically or do we always have to say, do you sit down and really ask your, your partner, is this a sign of love? Like, yeah, I can cook for you, but for somebody, that's my way of showing them. But for somebody else, right. it's just like, why is this me rolling in my kitchen? Like, can you come sit down? Or, or like, can you hold me or something, you know? So what? what's your, as professionals, what, what are your views or your perspectives of of actually showing or the acts of love? I have clients create love maps for Wagatman Theory because I think it's just okay. pretty awesome. These love maps is just a, an array of different questions about each other. And it's, you know, I add to it since I like give them the exact format from it, but then I'll I'll just throw some basic stuff in there. You know, what time do I like my coffee? Just basic stuff. Because I think, you know, when we're thinking about love and these romance, we just don't know how to reach each other. You know, we're just not, we're, that, that place of service, we have no clue what we're loving or how to reach each other. So um, you have to give them the homework. And sometimes they'll do it if they want to stay in love. Right. What are some of the home? What are, what are some of the homework things you get? Well, have them create these love maps. Okay. Know? Okay. Real intentional work. Um, have them carve out serious time. What it looks like. Have them practice. Um, like I said with the, one of my other couples, just the practice of you know it's not asking but showing up in the relationship. Right. You know how do you engage in that communication? So you know it's it's very it's it's very um homework heavy at times for them to do it, and they will the things with couples over individuals, couples will really work together 
are doing it. But the thing is, the other part is, do they want to be together? And that's the, right. and that's the part I always have to, you know, start off with, because a lot of times by the time they get to me, unless they do like premarital counseling, honestly, or marriage is like on the table, if they're coming to me, they've been together for fifteen years. I get a lot of that fifteen years or more, you know. So they're 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 one foot out. They're one foot out. You know, unfortunately, you know, this work isn't being done prior to. Yeah. I think it's harder with uh, a parent and a child though that is um, of relationships. I think a couple, um, it's easier for a couple to navigate that. But as far as a parent and a child, let's say a child who is gay or a child who has not figured out their sexual orientation, it's very, very hard because a child is dependent on that parent. So how do we, I've yet to figure this out, how do we um, get to a point where we can, um, uh, you know, allow this relationship, to, allow the the relationship to, to, to lack of a better word, prosper without the, the parent um, having expectations and holding this and holding that against the child. It's very hard. I'm, I'm laughing because I think I probably scare my parents because I work with a lot of LGBTQ plus children and young right. adults and adults. And I said, you know, if you, if you don't love, if you don't find a way to love your child, you could just lose your child. Mm-hmm. Like, what's, what's important right now? What's, what's really important to them? I'm like, this is, this is still, this is still your human. Mm-hmm. So whether they go by whatever pronouns, names, or sexuality, this is your human. You have birthed, adopted, cared for this human, and you have decided this human was going to be yours and you have to re- and guess what you're responsible for your human and I, and I do that with them and um really taking them back to that basic space because usually we're holding on to our own personal ideology religious ideology family ideology community ideology ethnicity ideology. it's pure ideology right and you know you know our children of today are challenging us in that space to allow us to think differently or I don't even want to think it differently because this stuff isn't truly new. I think they're they're making they're they're putting it out there. They're making us in social media and making us for our age all intention right. different. Right. You know, they're making us call it out, you know, with all of that. Because I mean I think about our, my childhood in high school. Yeah. Things are just it's just displayed. Hopefully, oh, you know. Now we have names to things we didn't have before. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so we're not, we're not, we're not, you know, somebody have to check us, especially folks, you know, my age, I gotta check y'all. This is not true. This is, this is not true. We remember so-and-so. We remember this person. We remember our behavior. We remember cousin so-and-so. I remember to my friends, remember I changed my name to Nat? I was no longer Natasha or Tasha. I was Nat. <laughs> well, I don't know why, you know, <laughs> getting explain it to you, you know. So at the end of the day, I think, um, What's worth losing? You don't want to lose your human life. It's not right. worth it. Right. Mm. Thank you. And and one last piece for, for that on me. I am like known as the selfish therapist. Like I just wrote a blog called Self Love is Revolutionary, um, or Self Love Equals Revolution. And I think, and in a, a portion of that, I I wrote that for me, and for most that I work with, there's never a time or there hasn't been a time in early childhood since we're talking about it 
that an adult or person who loves us or cares for us has sat us down and said, you're awesome just because you are a person. You, there's nothing external that has to give validity to your internal. And because we kind of miss that or don't quite, and let me not say miss it because I don't want to generalize our, our community because sometimes we may not communicate it effectively. We grow up believing that all of these things, the tangible things have to give us internal value and validity. And then it manifests in a relationship What you're doing for me, what you are supposed to be doing, how you're supposed to be showing up dictates how much I can pretend to love you because it's not true love as we established before. Now this thing is restricted or conditional. So if I'm hearing this one correctly, one of the things we got to walk away with is be of service or remove the self. The second is ask what can be done or how we are interpreting or understanding someone's communication or reception of love. And then understanding that external things don't give value to a person. It just has to, to be true love. It has to be unconditional without um, who they are, how they're showing up, what's going on. But there can be boundaries as long as you're not trying to hurt me. Right. Okay. Thank you. So our last topic is sex. And uh, this is really interesting to me because y'all know uh, I'm in my clinical sexology program. So I'm learning lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff. Um, when it comes to sex, first off, where are most that we have worked with learning about it in your experience, in your prof professional experience, someone comes in for couples, maybe someone, um, comes in for relationship advice or just to talk about sexual trauma or sex itself. Where's our, everybody learning? What are they figuring out? Where are they picking it up, um, throughout life, th this concept of sex and how we should engage with each other sexually? Childhood. Okay. Yeah, with childhood, childhood, religion, <laughs> the third, the what her religious beliefs are so, uh, as a child, and you know. So, our parents, in your experience, are parents actually having these discussions, or it's like trickle down from religion, trickle down from just topics in the in the environment, but not a direct conversation about this is what sex is and this is how it's supposed to go. Yeah, I don't think marriage are having direct conversation about sex to their kids at all. <laughs> well, I think what the the what is the biggest conversation a parent has? Um, you know, are you having sex when they think that you may be sexually active? Um, if you are, don't overcome a baby, or, or if you come home to right, or if you come home to tell your parent um, that there's a girl in your class. I think I was in the sixth grade, and there was a girl in my class that was pregnant. And so that prompted the discussion for sex. But up until that point, it was really just what you learned in Bible study or catechism, just depending on what your belief system, you know, is. Yeah, and they were just like, go ahead, Natasha. I was saying, then the parents, you know, then you know, I have parents say, I'm going to take my child to put on birth control, you know. Right. I think they think of sex as a physical act, and I think that's the problem. So, you know, I think about learning sex from my mom and it was lots of books, museums. It was just like, whoa, science in my face. But it was a huge part of sex that I needed to understand. It wasn't just about the physical act, right? It's like, there's that whole piece of attention. There's a whole piece of, you know, something's happening and I'm feeling something. I don't know what it is. It's the hormonal place, you know, that we're not having this conversation. It's like, am I in love? Am I liking this person? Am I afraid to tell 
my parents that I, you know, I have a crush on if I say something, you know, it's tap can't, you know, and, you know, those sex. So it's, and then where do you even see healthy relationships and signs of sex? Do you see your, you know, the families around you, the adults around you holding hands and kissing and, and, you know, just being so publicly affectionate and showing what physical love can look like, you know? So we're going to learn it, not the best ways, but we're going to figure it out. If you got friends, they're going to tell you something that's wrong. You know, brains. Well, a lot of us also um, are made to feel guilty or shame about sex, yeah. right? And so uh, the lessons about sex is, is not so much what we directly learn, it's what is not taught to us, right? Indirectly. So we assume certain things about sex. And that's how we go about, you know, thinking about sex. In, in my research, I'm starting to realize that, or just from my view, starting to realize that sex kind of is something that men do to women, not have with women. Um, because it almost seems as if for me to ask someone I'm with how to pleasure them or what brings them the most pleasure is, is a direct hit to who I am or my ability because of society and all of these things. When sex is completely and shows up different for a lot of different people, there isn't, uh, you know, a monolith or, or, or one scope, one way to have sex or an understanding, but it doesn't mean anything. If I ask my partner each time I'm in a new relationship, what is the most pleasurable way for having sex? Do you notice that it's difficult for men to actually engage in asking their partners, intimate partners, any types of relationships that, hey, is this pleasurable for you? And this doesn't mean anything about my uh, prowess or what I'm supposed to be or my ability to be a man. I just am actually wanting to engage with sex with you, not have sex or or do sex to you or what, however that would be classified. So yeah, because they have not learned what sex is about. It goes right back to what is sex about? You know, to me, it's a physical, it's a physical connection, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, physical like my comparison of your feeling. Right, your right. And it, it does involve intimacy also, but sex mm -hmm. itself is a physical act. Right. And that is why men, I think, can have sex without, you know, love. It's just, to me, it's just a physical act. Mm. And for me, it's totally like mind blowing, right? Like I have to be intellectually connected to truly want to have sex, right? So it's this physical thing, but yes, it's a physical response. Let me be clear. I feel sex is a biological response. response. Mm -hmm. It's a biological response. It's responding to it. So, you know, sex is just, it's sex is, is it, to me, sex is something that's going to take on a whole lot of different layers, right? And um, and honestly, that's the work you have to do in the self. It's a lot of openness. You have to be vulnerable with self to understand what sex is because it's just not um, penetration. We just put it out there. It's just not that. Right, because it's, 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 that's just one act of sex. And, and that's just one act that could lead to an array of whatever issues in people's worlds, right? But if you're mm -hmm. thinking of sex, right, we have to really be honest of, of the different levels of what sex looks like and how people engage in sex. 
I mean, what turns folks on? It's there's so many ways. Like, and are we having these conversations though? Are we exploring sexuality and say, sex we don't and relationships? Ask. If we don't ask, then we just do the act, right? Because you have no clue what's turning this person on. If you don't ask what the things that they enjoy, then you're just doing what came natural to whatever porn you watched at 14, 15 years old, right? So you have no clue. Or whatever happened to you at that age. Whatever happens, you have no clue this person does not like this. This is what they enjoy. Oh, you know, so it's, it's, it's something that I think requires education, like true education around. And I'm, but, I'm sorry, but doesn't it take on a different role if you have sex while you're in love as opposed to having sex with just Mary or, or Jim? So it, doesn't it depend on who you're having that sex with? Well, I, I think there's a big think, difference. I, I, I think, think things. I mean, think yeah, yeah. If, if, if I'm having sex with someone I'm not in love with, it's definitely Right. I may have a conversation and this sounds so hyper uh, masculine and toxic or whatever that phrase is. I may have a conversation about what turns you on in order to get me off. Definitely. Because if I I don't love you, if we're just engaging in a sexual act for my biological, physiological need, um, which is normal. My end goal is to have my need met. Right. And I am carrying you along on that journey. However, that manifests in the bedroom. Now, someone I'm in love with, listen, you tell me something you want to do. I may not learn it. I mean, I mean, I may not know it, but I will learn it. I may never have tried it, but I'll give it a shot. And I'm going to meet your sexual need because I'm in love with you, which I think, Claudia, yes, is, is extremely different. I'm definitely different. I, there's certain I things, there's certain mountains that I will not cross for, for something I'm engaging with to have sex. But I, I, got I will probably cross some boundaries for someone I think is is a person I'm committing my life to. Go ahead. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm listening to you or I don't know because I work with couples. And let me tell you something. We go in and we're waiting for weeks and months and all of a sudden it pops up. And I don't like having sex with them anyway. I just one can't get up. This person doesn't make me feel good. So they're all in love, working on whatever they're working on. And then they finally decide to throw the elephant in the room. And when I right. asked them, and I, I just just had this, I just I asked them, so when is the when when is the last time you two even have sex? They talk about like months mm -hmm. and weeks. And though when they're speaking about this thing, they're talking now then now we're now we're getting someplace. So you're 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 seeing me for one thing. And you're not recognized that all of these issues you're having, and as much as you're working hard to be with each other, you're not even enjoying sex with each other. Or this is just this one loop, and so I hear you loud and clear. And I, there is sex and being in love, and I think that I'm going to keep that for the honeymoon stages, right? But it, but then you have love, and, you have sex and relationships, and that we need to, and that has to be a conversation. When I'm working with couples, I want to know what your sex life is like, right? Because of the fact it affects their communication, but it affects how they feel about each other. It, mm -hmm. it is deep. I mean, there's I, things problems come up. I can definitely see that, and I agree. But and I want to add a piece to that. There's a certain level level of vulnerability that that comes with my love, right? So I can see we may have been the fire has burned out all of these things. But if I know for sure you're in this and you ain't going nowhere, you can ask me anything, and let's try it, right? And that's how we keep the sex going. That's how we keep things alive or whatever. And we both figure might both might figure out together. Actually, we don't like that. That's not something I'm, we both 
we thought we needed, but we tried it. Let's move on to something else. That comes, that's definitely love. That comes from vulnerability. So I hear you when, I, when you say that folks who've been married, I work with folks who have sex once a month. I can't fathom it, right? But I think it's because, yes, we love each other. We have the communication and stuff we're working on, all of those things, but we still aren't vulnerable. I can ask you to do something crazy and you not look at me yeah. like, why not in a relationship with this person or, or whatever it is. The same old, same old is going to get tired. We're human beings. We are humans. We're being like, and if we do the same thing over and over again, biologically, it'll have a different effect. It's called uh, arousal non-concordance. Sometimes we get aroused at the strangest thing. Blood goes to certain areas and it has nothing to do with sexualization and everything to do with biology, right? And then knowing that piece and talking about it and being vulnerable and saying, hey, I did notice that I got aroused when this happened. And it doesn't mean I'm this and it doesn't mean I'm that, but my body is responding and it felt pleasurable. Can we explore it? I think is a whole different level. And that I'm going to say, I will only do with someone who I think loves me or I'm in right? If if uh, if we just getting our needs met, just get our needs. I hope you make the finish line with, with me. I'll do the best I can to bring you to the finish line, but I'm not going that deep with somebody who I know will not leave me, right? Because that's my fear in a relationship. We have to be that vulnerable. Um, I tell my clients they shouldn't be having bad sex. Period. I said I don't believe it. It blows my mind. It blows my mind. If they have a bad know, sex, you're not enjoying sex. How so what are you doing? I, I tell them a joke like that. What is bad sex? You're talking about bad sex. 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 And if you're mm-hmm. going to utilize your time to have sex, make it be something you want. Enjoy it, you know, with whomever, however. But when they get to this place and it just feels, especially, I do especially work with a lot of college students dealing with sexual assault. That's when it comes up a lot. This is why I talk about bad sex. I'm like, how, you know, when do we start having a bit more consent space for autonomy as well, Right. Understanding what our body really wants and what and and what it's saying. When are you gonna listen to it? Right. right. But that now, goes back to expressing what your needs are, right? Well, definitely. It goes right back to that. We're not able to express what we need. And so there lies the problem. That things happen. Yeah. It comes with a, a certain understanding because for a while I was just out there. I was just out there in the world, right? And not explaining things. And then when I came a particular age and people were wondering, well, why does he do this? Or why can't I touch that or whatever, whatever? I definitely had to clarify, hey, I'm a victim of human trafficking. I'm uh, childhood sexual trauma. I'm open about that. Pretty open. And now I've gotten to the point where it doesn't mean anything about me. Previously, I couldn't talk about it because it did. Right. And it showed up in my intimate partner relationships. It showed up in sex. Why is this guy not texting Mac? Why is he detaching? Why was it so um rough or or whatever it is, right? And explaining that thing, the things that turn me on, the things that don't, the things I can and can't do, yeah, increase my enjoyability in others in, in sex. So I, I thank you for that. Thank you for clarifying. There was a recent study 
um, that said 20% of black males, this might be controversial, 20% of black males have non-sexual partners, or excuse me, have sexual partners outside of their race. And only 3% of black women do. And outside of their what? I'm sorry. Outside of that, their race. So 20% of black men have sex with those outside of their race. Only 3% of black women have sex with those outside of their race. And the level of when we're comparing enjoyment, sexual enjoyment, there is about a 20 to 30% difference, depending on where you are in the United States, between black men and women. So black men are enjoying sex more, but we are exploring sex outside of our, our community. Do you think there's a reason for that correlation or, or what's going on in our community? Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> we need another podcast for that one. Please, I think we need to continue another time yeah, on that. That's a little oh, hour. <laughs> just, just drop some on me. Let's see what we got. <laughs> well, let's, let's get into it. <laughs> I, I, to to speak to the three percent of black women, uh, only three percent of black women having mm-hmm. sex outside of their race, right? It's because of a sense of loyalty we feel for black men. I think mm-hmm. I think that's what it is. Um, and black men, <laughs> for some reason, don't share the royalty and that loyalty to uh to their um to black women. That is one point. I think it's how you're raised too, because I know that um, for me, with my family, it was very clear that as a girl, I should not date outside of my race. Or as or as my um, stepdad had told me, you know, you can date, but you can't marry them, right? Oh, okay. Whereas the boys in my family, they could date whomever they wanted to, but if if you even thought about dating someone that was not black, it was just, it was, a, it was a problem. I mean, I remember in my family, even in junior high, liking this, so a white boy, and it was a whole family discussion about why I cannot date outside of my race. But that same discussion was not given to my male cousin, you know? Now, as an adult, and you bring that, you bring that with you as an adult until you learn, you know what? You need to be with someone who is going to treat you the best, who's going to love you for you. And um, as we were talking about before, provide you with that unconditional love. But for some of us, it's it's truly about childhood and 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 um being brought up that way until you learn something different. I I grant it. I, I, I agree. Don't know about I agree. I want to push I back. Think, a bit. I, I, I'd say um, yes, when it comes to black men, I think there's a, some stigmas around sexual desire. Yes, that's what I was about with in, in sexual preference. So, not... A lot of times, uh, the fetishism is real on both ends, right? So, you know, society really fetishizes around black men and their length of their penis. And they think a certain concept about black mm-hmm. women and their sexual They sure do. And then, mm-hmm. and then there's the idea of what black women won't do. And get, so there's this whole space. And we have to talk. That's cultural, right? That's mm-hmm. really that's right. the premise thing that has really put the ideology in our heads about what sex looks like within black union because of the separation homes. We can go on all day about that. So I'm like, this is another podcast. So I, I believe that there's more of an acceptance for black men to date outside their race and have sex outside their race because of that desire. 
Now, it's not that black women are fetishized the same way, but there is more of a fear about being with a black woman, right? It's 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 what um it's like the arm piece. You know what I mean? It's it's more like, you know, you the trophy wife if you look at what folks are looking for as a trophy wife. It's great if they, you know, you you know, you select a black woman, but they're going to just they're going to get what they feel is going to um get them whatever just wherever they need to be. So you'll see that prominent, you know, black male with their trophy wife, right? That sometimes that white human. We need to talk about that. We need to talk about yeah, why is it saying that they're the trophy wife? Right. What we need to talk about what that looks like. That is that anti-blackness that lives within our community, right? So there's 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 so many reasons why this is happening. You know, earlier when I shared, you know, to be seen by a black man, it's you know, it's like wow, you I'm here, I'm alive. Like so, there's all of these, there's all kind of things that society has really created. Um, the aggressive black woman, the angry black yeah. woman, uh, the ratchet black woman, the loud black woman, the yellow black woman. We can go on all day of all of this, you know, the stigmas. Oh, black women don't do this in bed. They don't do that in bed. You know, whatever it, whatever the case may be. So those numbers will always be high until we start really addressing the as blackness. That so should should we not um should we not are we not responsible then for to change the narrative i mean we are it, it's we, manifesting now it's manifesting now it's manifesting at all so many black women that are single more so than any other race mm-hmm. right so our inability to step outside of our race and date it has become a you know epidemic it's, I guess it's interesting. I think black women are learning to find their happiness or learning to contribute to their happiness where it makes sense. And so you do see a lot more uh, interracial couples now. Good. And, you know, in America, and so here's the thing too, culturally, like in America, it's such a big thing. Outside of this country, you should see interracial couples left and right. And it, it is not even a discussion like you say is here in this country so that that's another aspect of it that again we would need a whole nother podcast well, well let's bring it back back to to our in our relationship mm-hmm. do black women i mean y'all know i like to play the do black women make it safe for black men to explore things sexually yes you think so and in your work in how to and your work, oh, in the- you personally, yes, but as a couple's counselor, working with <laughs> relationships, have you seen a trend where it is okay for black men to discuss their sexual trauma, their habits, the things that arouse them, the things that don't, and and have it open and not, I, I know we're talking about white people and how they fetishize or hyper-sexualize black men, but some of those concepts for me personally have come up in my intimate partner. If Tuesday I don't want to have sex with you, that means something about my sexuality. Not that my mood is off or I'm angry. I had a rough day and I want to talk about that. But if I am black and I have a penis, we're supposed to be having sex. That is my experience or something is wrong. How does that sexual trauma? Is that sexual trauma and that's within the black community? Do we talk about our sexual traumas? No. Even allow that vulnerability? Then I'll do that work. So it's not, it's, 
it's what we have to do, but it's what's right. And I think, and that, Ooh, I think that might contribute to the interracial dating and things like that. But it absolutely, unfortunately, is sometimes we don't allow spaces for black men to express what's going on sexually, how they're feeling. If I can get it up, or if I don't feel like it, or if something else turns me on, that means I'm rejecting you, or there's something wrong with me. It doesn't. It, it's not that I express sex. It's Timmy, you huffing and puffing. What's going on? <laughs> I'm saying? not. I'm listening. I'm listening. Okay. I'm listening. I'm like, you know, you have a point. Um, but it is for it's for both men and women because I think a lot of times uh we forget that women have a lot of sexual trauma too. Yeah, you know. That's right. And so when you are somebody that has a vulnerability for a black man to be able to express these things to his 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 partner, um. It, it it all goes back to a level of vulnerability and trust, you know, or do I feel safe enough? And that's on both ends, you know. I definitely think that black men um, take it personal when black women say, I need this sexually, right? And that's where we disconnect or forget, like, or that they can't or don't want something sexually. We, we internalize it and say it means something about us. And you're right, since mm -hmm. we, we forget that to create a space for black women as well. Definitely. I'm laughing because I think we have created sex and times to be this place of a reward system. And I'm always checking my couple. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and 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 I think that's the that's the reason why I feel so rejectful if you're not doing it at that point, because I must have done something bad or you must be mad at me or something along those lines. Why would I have a sex right now? So it's all about um, you know, it's all about thinking differently about what sex is, right? The sensual piece of that. Mm -hmm. It's just Treat like a reward system, and, and um, you know. So if I'm mad at you, I'm not gonna have sex with you, right? Mm -hmm. Um, if I'm happy with you, I might show up very sexual today. You know, things of that sort. So um, I'm sorry, my spark in the background, but um, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's about how we're looking at sex, and when we have sexual trauma, you need to think of what sexual trauma has done, what molestation has done, what incest right. has done. It's always been around some form of, um, you know, power, control, rewards, you know, you know, the, the grooming, all of that. And fortunately, especially within black communities, black families, this happened within our own black households, right? With with folks that we should trust. So it's, it's just deep rooted. It's completely deep rooted. Hey, thank you. Anything else on that topic? Raven, I think. It's really, yeah, yeah, just one last thing. It kind of goes back a little bit further, but I guess to tie the point in, though, one thing I was thinking about, some of these problems that we, you know, that you guys are talking through, and I think points were great. Some of the problems I think are rooted, especially for like, um, if you're like modern day dating and dating right now, sex has, be the casual culture that we've created around sex makes it much more difficult to have these sorts of in-depth conversations. That's so right. Kind of going back to when you were like, well, do we create space for men to talk about the things that they want and need sexually? Well, it's like if you approach sex all the time with such casual with like such a callousness and just like, OK, well, it's just something haphazard that you'd be willing to do with anybody. Again, no judgment about that decision. But we do have to be honest about the consequences that come with something like that. And so if at any moment I'm just I'm or the, your partner 
my partner is just easily thrown away because, oh, you disregarded a feeling that I had instead of actually being willing to put in the effort and the work to say that sex is kind of awkward. Even the best sex is kind of an awkward thing. And so being willing to be open and honest about that and say, but this is where I choose to be right now. So I'm going to commit to this while we navigate this hazy space and not just immediately go straight to, oh, I'm uncomfortable. Let me go find the next person. Um, and so anyways, I think we've said are just consequences of how casual we've treated sex. Um, yeah. Um, Raven, that's a good point. For me, I always look at like sex as um, I'm going to learn something new about sex every time I'm in a different relationship because, I mean, I don't know it all because everyone is different, right? And that doesn't mean anything about me or my ability to uh, pleasure someone. I will have more of the ability to if I look at it as like a classroom. Every person is a teacher in, in my mind and every relationship is a teacher because the way someone else does or engages is completely different for another person. So um, kind of, I like your phrase of taking the self out of it for love. I think taking the self out of it for, for sex is important too. And, and again, like I said earlier, it's different. Sometimes I'm just meeting the biological need and other times I'm in love with somebody. And on that latter end, um, I'm learning. I'm, t- I'm, I'm, I'm teach me so I can make sure this is, we, we both get what we need out of this. Um, and that has nothing to do with my perception of myself or I hope how you perceive me. Um, so thank you for that. Thank you for joining me. Um, I really appreciate your time and your space. We'll definitely come back and do this again. You've been listening to the after session with Philip Lewis. I hope this time has been beneficial to you in some way. If you like some of the topics discussed, you can visit lewiscounseling.org and click on the after session or follow me on Instagram at the after session underscore. This podcast has been produced by Logan Wesley. You can follow Logan at onelawmusic.com or on Instagram at the number one L-A-W underscore music. Be good to yourself.